So welcome, and before we get started, um, I would love, I, I, I would love, I was thinking, I wish that we had somebody that could pray a Namibian prayer, and I just don't, I don't know, there's so many people who could offer that, but I'm just feeling like, for some reason, I'm feeling like a weeno, I'm feeling like maybe if you, could you do that? Yeah. All right. This is our brother from Namibia, Oino. Can you, would you just pray over the service and pray over me this morning that the Holy Spirit would be here and do something awesome? Yeah, I'm going to pray a prayer that everybody knows. Our Father in heaven, Inosh Wambo. Yes. Tate Tunguri Meguru, Edinario Nariapuru, Oshirongo Shoe, Nachiwan to Kombandae V, Ngashigashuan from Meguru. Tu pawani na uchitima chetu chesiku keshe. Budi mepo njode tu ngashika hatu di mepo damboka ya ono kutse. Ino tufara mama hongororo awe tu hupitha muinai. Oshoko shirongo oshoe, nehondo doe, nesima norioe, alushe siwa alushe. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Your accent has really gotten better. I like it. It's good. It's good. I can help you out afterwards. We can work through a couple things. They were minor. They were minor. <laughs> We've been, uh, we, we just started a, um, a couple of weeks ago to talk about our core values. And today, uh, we're going to talk about the second one. I, I, I want to um, give you some handles on, on uh, what this is. These are not, this isn't our, our theological statement, per se. We don't have a theological sheet you have to sign in order to be a part of us. Um, our church is united with the, the church around the world. Uh, we believe in the, the Apostles' Creed. Um, we we uh, agree on the essentials of the faith. We are an independent church, so we recognize we do have some variety um, uh, from different backgrounds. Some of you are from very charismatic backgrounds. Some of you are from very conservative backgrounds. And uh, we welcome all of you. If you love Jesus, uh, uh, come. And, and uh, so these core values, however, are some good handles on uh, some, some specific emphases that we have here at Christ Center that we've had uh, since the beginning. And so we recently, uh, over the last year, began to formulate these uh, in, in some ways that if, if you're just coming in, you can look at some of these and go, okay, I see where they're coming from. So last, uh, we started two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Joshua, uh, he, he gave us the first one, which is this, God is a good father. There's many, many things you could say about God the Father, and many churches might have different emphasis. Some of those might be uh, uh, God is a holy God, and that might be the, the thing they zero in on more than others, and that's a beautiful truth, and we do talk about that, and we believe in that and, and, and endorse that wholeheartedly. But if there's one core thing about God the Father that he's zeroed in on on this particular family for a long time, and we just can't seem to get away from, it's this truth, God is a good Father. And so this has been a part of our DNA. This isn't something that started when Pastor Joshua took over Christ Center, certainly not when I came here. This is something that's been going on for, for far longer. In fact, this has been a key element of Restoration Ministries. Um, this has been uh, uh, the key message that God's given uh, Doug Easterday, uh, one of our elders, as he's gone all over the world, probably given this message hundreds of times, uh, maybe in hundreds of locations, that God is a good father. And we have decided this is so essential that this is our core truth that we consistently come back to. And we don't just do it from up here. We do it in our staff constantly that he's good and that he's our father. 
In that same way, I want to bring the second one, uh, the second truth today. Now, we've got four different pictures on here that I'm just going to give you a sneak peek that we've got God, then we've got man, then we've got church, and then we've got kingdom. So each one of these pictures is going to have three different truths. So there's going to be 12 by the time we're done with this. So today is our second core truth, core value about God. Does this make sense? All right. Um, so... Um, Part one is God. God is a good father. Today we're going to talk about Jesus as both Savior and Lord. And next week we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And our core truth there is that he's active. If you've ever struggled with, with uh, some of that or felt uncomfortable with uh, emphasis on the Holy Spirit, please come back. I'm going to talk about this next week. And uh, um, I can relate to a lot of that. So we're, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit next week. This week we're going to talk about Jesus. Is that okay? Just talk about Jesus in church? All right. <laughs> Just, just want to make sure, you know. Why is that? I always say, is that okay? As if you're going to say no, and I'm going to just, oh, well, well we won't do that. Because I'm not going to do that, because we're you know, going in a direction. But I do value your input. Just, you know, maybe not during the service if you disagree or want to stop. It's kind of awkward. There's a couple hundred people in here. <laughs> Jesus is both Savior and King. I want to look at the, the intro passages uh, uh, to, to two of the Gospels uh, where the announcement of Jesus' birth comes. The first one here um, comes in Matthew, and this is what uh, the angel told to Joseph. Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus literally means God is salvation. That's why he says, because, you know, for, he will save his people from their sins, because that's what that meant. Jesus means God is salvation. Now, obviously, when he grows up, uh, his people, the Jews, will hear this message and latch on to this uh, in all different ways, and, and as he continues to do miracles and amazing things, there becomes like a fever pitch about this man, and they start recognizing there's something immensely special about this man. He is the one who is our salvation. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who's going to save us. So that when he comes in on that final Passover, as we talked about last month, he comes in on that final Passover, people are waving palm branches, saying, Hosanna, which literally means save us, because they recognize he is the one who is going to save. Now, they got it wrong in their application of that, but they understood that he was a savior. And indeed, he was. He was. He came to liberate. And he finally did that on the cross. There was no hope for humanity, but Jesus Christ took our place. He took our punishment of death. He made atonement for us. He forgave, he ransomed us from exile and brought us home. And when we die ourselves, our punishment is canceled. We are free and we are with him forever. Isn't that good news? Because he is savior. This is expressed very clearly in John 10, 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart, or with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So what did I say, John? I said John. Oh my goodness, I apologize. That's Romans 10.10. 10. Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate that. That's the problem with not copying and pasting enough, and you know. <laughs> this is true of, of Jesus Christ. He saves. The other Intro verse here uh, from the birth of Jesus 
uh, comes from Luke chapter 2. You remember this when you've got the shepherds uh, in the middle of the night doing nothing and suddenly these angels come. And here's the announcement. The angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. I know it's not Christmas, so we shouldn't be allowed to read this verse because it's not Christmas. Because <laughs> there's some amazing stuff in here. Uh, first of all, he says for all people which is in itself very, it's very interesting. Because as Matthew is focusing on his people being the Jews, he's, Jesus is going to be the savior of the Jews. This, he says, this is going to be great joy for all people, which is a massive shift. And, and he was going to be Lord of all people. Now, the fascinating thing, and I know I've brought this up before, uh, but the fascinating thing is that more and more New Testament scholars are realizing some of the implications of the way this was laid out here. You see, when a new Caesar was born, this kind of announcement would be given. And it would be all over the 24-hour news stations. No, they didn't have that. But they did have heralds. They had people who would go and give the news. They would have it you know, etched out in stone or written in signs. They would go out and stick it in all over the Roman Empire. In little towns or whatever. Just so everybody knows a new Caesar has been born. They might have even yelled extra, extra, read all about it. But it would be actually in verbiage very similar to this. In fact, you read uh, uh, some of these declarations. There's one of, of Augustus Caesar being born. He's the son of the gods, and he will bless the, and all the nations and all these. I mean, it just goes on and on. And I think it's no, uh, uh, it's no accident that the angels used a similar tactic here. Just like you had those Roman heralds, you have an angelic a group of angelic heralds that come in and give the news in the same way that they give the news for Caesar. Do you see the implication here? Maybe I'm out of line, but here's what I think. I think the angels were trolling Caesar. <laughs> Some of you guys might not get that verbiage. They, they were, it's almost like, <laughs> it's almost like they were, uh, they, they were, um, uh, almost mocking him a little bit and saying, actually, Jesus is the real king. So we'll come in, like, you're, you give these announcements like this, fine, we'll say that too. This new Caesar's been born. How about the new Caesar of the entire universe has been born? Massive implications there. In fact, they even used the word gospel when a Caesar was born. Oh, the new gospel message, a new Caesar's been born. And here we go, the king of all the universe has been born as a child. Massive implications here, guys that we see all the way throughout his life. We see it unfold and we see it more and more clearly to the point that uh, as he's finally standing trial before Pontius Pilate, Pilate asks him, are you a king? And he says, yes. And so what happens? The soldiers get all caught up in their games and they twist a crown of thorns and they throw a robe over him and slam the, the crown on his head they mean it ironically, guys, but there's a double irony here because it's actually appropriate. He actually was a king. Bummer for them. So he dies, and he rises again to take the throne of his kingdom. Jesus Christ is not just savior, he's king. You see, to say Jesus is Lord in the Roman Empire was a politically subversive message. Did you know that? Did you know how controversial it was? It was controversial because the, 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 the Caesar was a god. 
The cult of Caesar was a huge thing in the Roman Empire. He had ultimate authority. He, all these things. And to say, Jesus is Lord inherently meant that Caesar was not. In fact, many, many Christians went to their death because they refused to say Caesar is Lord. Did you know that? They wouldn't say it because they said, no, it's not Caesar. Jesus is Lord. So they went to their death. And it was a subversive message. It was a powerful message that we, I don't think, feel today. I think it's very difficult for us to feel it. Um, and uh, uh, there's, there's reasons for that. Um, I, I think, uh, well, look at this. So I'll just show you how tangible this was, say, for the Apostle Paul. These men, uh, the, sorry, Apostle Paul, he, he, goes into, um, he goes into Thessalonica. He's hanging out. They're preaching the gospel. People are meeting Jesus. And then, what happens? Well, the typical thing happens. The, the hardcore Jews get upset that people are following Jesus, so they basically start a riot. And they go into the house where he's staying, the house of Jason. Did you know that I was in the Bible? Did you know that? Um, and uh, and they, they start dragging people out and beating them, and they make this accusation. Here's what they say. These men uh, who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the degrees decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. In other words, following Jesus as king was considered treason. And here's the thing. They were right. Paul was declaring that. He was declaring there is another Caesar. Do you see how much that meant? It was a weighty truth. Now, um, that's how that went in the early church, Today, it's a little bit harder to, uh, to feel that. In fact, when we talk about Jesus being Savior and King, this does funny things to me anyway, maybe not to you. But tell me if you think this is true. In our culture, we tend to celebrate this, but not so much this. Is that true? Is it in your experience? Okay. This is definitely true in my experience. And part of this, I really believe, is... Uh, uh, that we don't have a context for a king here in the U.S. And that's a good thing, that part of it, I think. Because I think there should only be one king. There shouldn't be someone with that much power. So in, in America, what do we value more than anything else? We value our independence. We don't have a king. In fact, you could say we are our own kings. And while that's a, a good thing politically speaking, because then we have freedom of conscience, it can be a really bad thing in terms of how that bleeds over and how we see ourselves because we're not intended to be our own masters. In the Roman Empire, the tragedy of the situation was that they were under one man, Caesar. In the United States, the predominant, instead of a, a cult of Caesar, we have a cult of self. That is the predominant religion that's all around us. It's the religion of self. Be true to yourself. So this isn't a very popular truth. We say we don't need a master, but Jesus says, yes, you actually do need a master. Here's... Um, let me just throw out some words that I, we might associate with these two different categories, Savior and King. Um, savior, you might say, is one who liberates, 
but a king rules. A savior accepts. A king makes demands. A savior forgives. A king instructs. A savior heals. A king acts. He works. He does stuff. And it's tempting to look at this. It's tempting to look at these two ideas and say, well, the one on the left is, is obviously, I mean, that's who Jesus is. The one on the right's more religion. Like, I, he's, he's the one on the left. And I would tend to say, okay, be careful. Be careful. You see, we've accepted some, uh, some truths of who Jesus is today. But our culture is a little bit skewed on this. I don't know if you've noticed this. But our culture thinks that Jesus did one thing and one, one thing only. They think that Jesus just was nice to people. And that's a summation of who Jesus was. But it's not. It's not a summation. Was he nice? Incredibly nice. He was incredibly kind and generous. People flocked to him. No matter what state that they were in with their heart, they flocked to him. He was amazingly kind and gentle and welcoming and all of those things. But you guys, um, there's a, a, it's not true to say that that's a summation of who he was. Jesus also spoke truth as if the lives of his very hearers depended on it. And even if it made them wince. If you don't believe me, well, I'll give you one example right here. Here's what he said. If you love me, keep my commandments. (laughs) The audacity. If you love me, keep my commandments. What an arrogant teacher. What an arrogant thing to say, unless you're God. Unless you actually are king. And in that case, he's saying, don't say you love me if you aren't willing to keep my commandments. In fact, his best friend John lays it out just like that. These are hard words here, guys, but this is 1 John. The one who says, I have come to know him, meaning Christ, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. <gasps> but, but Jesus, is, he's nice. Well, yes, he's incredibly nice. He's kind. Yes, he is. He's accepting. Totally but the one who says, I've come to know him, doesn't keep his commandments. He's not even living in the truth. It was Jesus who told us that we had to be righteous. He told us that we had to be more righteous than the Pharisees if we wanted to see the kingdom of heaven. That's a hard word right there. He said we had to take up our cross, our instrument of execution, and follow him. He forgave People, left and right, he forgave the woman caught in adultery, didn't he? And then you know what he said to her? Stop sinning. He told the Pharisees to get their hearts right, to clean their hearts before they kept on speaking. He told the crowds that hate was the same as murder, that lust was the same as adultery. He told them to be perfect. That's Jesus All of those things is Jesus. Do you see this? We can't take part of him and reject the other. You see, we have, those of you (laughs) who know anything about our civil government structure, the president has a tool called the line item veto where a bill can come to his desk 
And he can say, well, I like this, but not, not this. So you can accept parts and reject parts. And, and the legislation moves on. Sometimes I think we might want that same power. Can I have the line item veto for what Jesus says? But we don't. We don't have a line item veto for what Jesus said. Because he is who he is. We have to accept or reject Jesus in his entirety. We don't pick and choose which parts of him we want to embrace. Therefore, even this kind of terminology can be misleading. Look at this. We're going to make Jesus our personal Savior and Lord. But we don't make him anything because he already is Savior and Lord. Do you see this? You don't make him anything. Oh, Jesus, come here. I've decided. Here, just come on in, Jesus. Yep. Uh, I need a sword. I'm supposed to do this thing, right? Is that good? Does that work? Okay. Uh, a crown. Jesus, you are now Lord of my life. Congratulations. Here's what you get. So, how do you want to use all this? Really? It should be silly. Because here's the thing. He's infinite, and I don't know if you knew, but I'm not. You're not. See, all we're doing here is acting in accordance with reality, or we're not. Has very little to do with me and you, actually. Did you know that? Very little. Not only that, he's not just a personal Savior and Lord. No, 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 no. He became king of a kingdom. And the question is on whether or not we are going to live in accordance with that kingdom. Do you see the truth of this? He is not just Savior. He's also King. These two truths, we believe it is essential to keep together. Now this church has a long history of evangelization, which is a beautiful and awesome thing. It has a long history of discipleship and going to the nations and both evangelizing and discipling. Not only saying, Jesus loves you, will you be saved? But also saying, here's what he asks of you. We're gonna keep this and I don't want these separated because I don't think they can be separated. Does that make sense? I don't think they can be separated. He's already Savior. He's already Lord. So the question is, are you going to live in accordance with the reality of those truths? That's what we have to consistently ask ourselves. Wait, he's king. He, he, I, just, I was faced with this this week. It was this random decision. I got invited somewhere, and I, just, I, I wanted to go, but I felt like the Lord said no. <sighs> I kept trying to fudge it. <clears throat> So I said no. I haven't always said no. I've had a lot of times when I knew that the Lord said something. Sometimes it wasn't a directly, although I do believe the Lord speaks that way to us directly, which I felt like he did. But sometimes it's simply he's told us what is good and what the Lord requires. Are we going to do that or not? Is it something in scripture? Are you going to act this way or are you not going to act this way? So many times I have acted the wrong way and denied his kingship. So many times. And you guys, that's a serious thing. And I've had to come back to him and say, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, you are king. Because I don't get to choose. 
Will we say yes to what is already real or will we reject it? That's the question. Will we say yes to him being king or will we say, actually, I would just like to be saved. I love the heaven part. I love the getting out of my sins, uh, destruction part. But we can't separate this from the beauty of him saying, now let me be your king. We can't take the death of Christ, which saves us from the resurrection of Christ, which brings us into his kingdom. Do you see? They're, they're inextricably linked. It doesn't, I, I, I think it doesn't even really make sense to say that you could take one without the other. Here's a great parenting phrase. That's not a choice. I use this with my son all the time. Actually, my wife just used it with uh, my boy Nathan this morning. That's not a choice. I wanted a cookie or something. for No, you can have this or this. But I, mm, my son, he's got the best lower lip ever. I mean, this kid, when he says no, some of you guys, children's ministry know exactly what I'm talking about. I go, mm. <laughs> that's not a choice. And I think it's the same thing here. It's not a choice. You can't say yes to his salvation and no to his lordship. And you guys, I tremble. I tremble for us. I tremble for so many who have made the gospel a self-help thing that said, yes, I, I would love to go to heaven, but have no business whatsoever, have no thought even to what this means for their life. Have no thought that means now I'm in a new kingdom. Oh, now you're my God and not myself? These truths cannot be separated. I say, it doesn't even make sense. Can I give you the world's easiest, dumbest analogy for this? Okay, I'm going to. I did one of those rhetorical questions again. I'm going to. So, uh, old Jimmy is swimming in a pool, right? Having a good time. Suddenly, you look over, you hear a tornado come through, and then you look in the pool, and there's a bunch of sharks in the pool, because it was a shark-infested tornado. See what I'm doing there? All right. <laughs> Not like this has ever happened before, yet. And Jimmy calls out, help! I'm in a pool with a bunch of sharks! And I calmly stand up, say, don't worry, I've got this, everybody. And I grab the little donut life preserver. Here you go, Jimmy. And I throw it out to him. There's not even a rope on it. <laughs> You're welcome. And I go back to sipping Arnold Palmer iced tea lemonade mix, which is one of the world's greatest drinks, with you while he continues screaming. Hey, I saved him. No, I didn't save him. He's still in the pool with the sharks. How can you be saved from your sins if you haven't gotten out of your sins into a new kingdom? It's, guys, it's just, it's just logic. The angel says to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And nowadays we have a whole bunch of people walking around because they said, yes, I want to go to heaven but they've never once thought about what they owe to the king. They've never once thought of him as king. Oh, you mean I have to give myself up? Yes. You mean I shouldn't be God of my life anymore? That's correct. But everyone tells me to be God of myself. I know, it's the cult of self. That's where we are, guys. We live in the cult of self and we have to see this about our culture. It's severely messed up. 
It's a severely messed up culture. It just is, and I love my country, and I love my people, but this is a huge blind spot we have right now, that we've, we've tried to syncretize Christianity with humanism that says, just be happy. Well, I want to be happy, so maybe I'll pull this Jesus stuff over and do the happy and make that, maybe he can fit in. And we, we water things down to the point of, I'm going to ask Jesus into my heart along with all the other things that are in my heart. And it doesn't work. You can't do that. It doesn't make sense. But here's the thing. Jesus and his kingdom is so immeasurably greater than the cult of self that giving over to him is the greatest joy you could ever imagine. Giving over the worship of self and saying, not my will but yours, just like Jesus said. Not my will, but yours, because you're the king. It's a beautiful, beautiful, and utterly necessary decision to make. There was a man who was walking in a field one day. He was having financial troubles. and was a little bit ticked off some of the credit card spending that he had found himself in. Those interest rates... And he trips. His leg goes right into a hole and he twists his ankle, just like me. I have the wussiest ankles, guys. I don't know how many ankle sprains I've had in my life. It's unbelievable. Sorry. <laughs> Someday I'm going to have a new body. Iron ankles. That's right. So he falls. Sprains his ankle. He reaches down in there because he feels something with his foot. He reaches down and there's something hard. He goes, well, what's this? And he starts digging. And he opens it up. It's like this box, this wooden box, and he opens it up. And there's some stuff in there. And he, he pulls out this picture like that, and he looks on the back. Oh, my goodness. And it's an original copy of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, and he looks down in here, and there's, there's, there's gold coins minted from the 1700s. So he looks around. This field is for sale. He looks around and goes, okay, all right, all right, all right. Nobody else can see this. So he kind of, he grabs a couple of things. He throws it into his backpack and he walks over to the guys from uh, Pawn Stars. Yeah, he goes, and that, that's, he's like, so uh, we, we got this thing. Is that worth anything? And they look at it and they're like, is that? And they're all calling each other over. Looks to me uh, late 1700s. That, uh, that's worth a little money. How about we buy it off you for, you know, $1,000? I don't think so. $10,000? No. $100,000, please! How much is it worth? $10 million? Okay, or, uh, here. Okay, don't... Pull out the coin. <laughs> what about that? They look down at it. <sighs> it's pure gold. <sighs> Give you 20 grand for it. How much is it worth? 100 grand! And he's going, the box is full of these things. Do you know what he does? 
He zips them up. He says, thank you very much. He takes a different route home, makes sure nobody's following him. <laughs> and he runs home to his wife. And he says, well, God, <laughs> um, we're selling the house. What? And we're selling the boat, the one that we should never have paid for anyway. Because we didn't have the money for it. We're selling it. And we're selling the car. And maybe the children. No, not, not the children. We're selling. We're selling everything we have. She says, why? He says, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. We're selling everything we have. Why? Because we're buying a field. A field? Yes. Why? Because it's worth more than we could possibly imagine. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. Sell all you have. That's what it's worth. Worship team, please come. Sell all you have because it's worth more than you can possibly imagine. Does it hurt to give up? Does it hurt to end the cult of self? Yes, it does. That might mean you have to give him things that you wanted to hold on to forever. It might mean you have to lay down relationships that are wrong. It might mean that you have to take back things that you stole. It might mean that you have to stop all of the things, all of your plans, because you were headed a certain direction, and Jesus says, no, not that way, this way. It will cost you something. It'll cost you everything, because you're laying down lordship of your own heart, and you're saying, his will now, his will, not my will, but your will. And guys, it is worth more than anything you could possibly imagine. It's worth more treasure than the cult of self ever even dreamed of. That's the kingdom of heaven. And if you want the kingdom of heaven, you come to the king. We're passing out communion elements right now. We've started doing this every week, as you all have noticed, I'm sure. I know there can be some concern that it becomes trite, that maybe it feels religious or something else, but I'm, I'm just not too concerned about that. I understand and I appreciate the concern, but I don't think that we're ever going to fall into that. We sing new songs, we celebrate, we do new prayers, we have new classes, we have so much that's new. We're a modern church, and I want to always stay ancient while we stay modern. I want to always be rooted above all else to the death and resurrection of King Jesus. Not only our Savior, but our King, the one who laid his life down so that we could be free and rose again so that we could live with him in his Father's house. That is always gonna be paramount in this house, and that's why we've started doing this every week. If you're not a part of this, this church, please, you, you can take it right along with us. All we ask is that you be a follower of Jesus. And as we do this morning, we're gonna sing a song, and I want us to just contemplate our own hearts and say, Lord, have I held something back from you? I've accepted the gift of eternal life, but have I held something back from you? Am I holding on, am I clutching on to anything, or is something risen and becoming more important than it ought to? And don't take it yet. Just hold on to and pray and give that thing back to him. You can do this right here. Do business with God this morning. For I 
will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look for questions that can rise at times like this when you just see a verse that says he who doesn't follow commands of God doesn't even know him I can feel the questions that rise up to think well I want to but I fall short so what about me what does that say and I can feel that and I'm with you and here's the thing when we fall we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he helps us to stand. And the question is, what do you do then? Because if you walk back toward him and say, Lord, forgive me, help me again, I'm walking toward you. That's a beautiful picture of a redeeming father, a patient father, and a son or a daughter who's doing their best. But if you fall to what the culture says, then you'll stand up and say, we're all fallen, this is just my thing. If that's your attitude, then I have wonderful news for you. You can give yourself to him. Because if that's where you are in that moment, I'm not sure you're with him at that point. A son or a daughter living in the kingdom of God looks toward him and walks toward him. So if you've fallen, peace to your spirits. May the peace of the Holy Spirit blow through your heart now because you can get back up again. And there is hope that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. He's that good.
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, you, 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 your body was broken, your blood was spilled for us. And today we remember that and say, Lord, I want to be part of your kingdom. Lord, you call the shots and I follow you. Let's take the, the body together. blood was spilled for us. And Lord, in this house, we will not take it lightly. I will not take it lightly. Forgive me for the times I've taken it lightly. But as for today, we remember you and what you've done for us. Let's take the blood together. Our server team is going to be here. I feel like some of you guys might want to do some more business with the Lord. It's fine. You can stay seated. You don't have to leave. You can come up and get some prayer. You can come talk to me. You can come talk to our elders. But the Lord's going to teach us all how to walk without falling. You know that? I believe that. You're going to walk and you're going to fall. And he's going to pick you up and say, I forgive you. You might fall again. He's going to pick you up pretty soon. The devil's going to say, he didn't fall? Inconceivable. (laughs) And you will have triumph in the kingdom, and we will all serve him together. Be at peace.